is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, so uh, this morning I uh, want to look at the subject of healing. And I felt it would be good to revisit this subject together, particularly in the light of us, really I guess this year, experience something more of God's presence, greater sense of intimacy with him, and he's speaking to us more. Uh, I'll be true during our meetings together, uh, increasingly it's true uh, during the weeks as well, uh, looking for opportunities to respond to the prompting of the Spirit. And I know we looked at this subject earlier in the year, but I felt it'd be good to look at it again, um, because time and again we see in Scripture, we see through the Gospels, that healing is a demonstration of the Kingdom of God. It's a, it's a demonstration of God coming in power. It's a demonstration of the rule and reign of, of God Himself. And as you look through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus preaches... He teaches people about the coming kingdom of God and then demonstrates it in power uh, with people being healed. And uh, Jesus sent his disciples out to, to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. And uh, we, as his disciples now, need to be good at both those things. That's what Jesus is telling us to do, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick. His command to his disciples then is the same as his command to us now, to preach the gospel and, and to heal the sick. And so that's why I thought it would be good to look at this subject uh, again this morning. Uh, so if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn please to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 verse 17. We'll, uh, we'll start reading out if you want to scroll or click or talk to it and try to find it. Or if you've got an old school version like this, this okay, kids, this is paper. Okay, you've seen this. This is, this is what I call a Bible. It's not an electronic thing, it's got printed words in it. So there we are. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? Uh, that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralysed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home, praising God. 
everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the remarkable things that we read in your words. And uh, Lord, today we want to come to you uh, and come to your word and say, Lord, it's those sort of remarkable things that we want to see in our lives, in this city and indeed beyond, in our day and time. And uh, Lord, your command to us is no different than your command to your disciples a couple of thousand years ago. And so this morning we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us, help us to understand what we've read, would you build faith in us, Lord, that you might want to see us do these things, in order that we might be able to preach your word and heal the sick in your name as a sign of your kingdom come. So Lord, I want to pray now you'd help me as I speak, Uh, Lord, help us all to hear what you have for us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. 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 Okay, if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to keep it open in front of you there. And uh, so we're just going to work through the passage a few verses at a time. And I want us to see a few things uh, as we go. And uh, I want us to see that what we're looking at is, is right in front of us. So you might have it help, you might find it helpful to have it just in front of you there. So we started off with verse. 17. And Luke starts the account by saying, one day, one day as he was teaching, as Jesus was teaching. There's two words, one day. But it speaks of an ordinary day, doesn't it? Yeah. You might say something, oh, one day is out for walk. It's just a phrase you might use. It wasn't a particularly special day. Jesus was going about his ordinary, everyday activity. Now, admittedly, Jesus' ordinary everyday activity was quite extraordinary. But let's be clear, Jesus hadn't called a healing meeting. It wasn't that he'd put a big sign up and said, today, two o'clock, healing meeting, bring your sick. It was just that Jesus was going about what he did. Now, most of his time he was teaching both his disciples and others who would listen and others who, who indeed were there as well. <clears throat> but for him, it was just an everyday, normal day. Now, there were cynics and doubters there. We were told that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had come. Now, let us understand it. This is not a supportive crowd. If you've ever spoken to a group of people, as I am doing this morning, what you tend to do is you look for people in the crowd who are engaging with you. You look for smiling people. You look for happy people who are sort of giving you eye contact and sort of encouraging you on and are there listening to what you're saying. What you don't want, and let's be clear, most of you are in that category. Um, what you don't want is a group of people there who are looking glum, miserable, and as though they're disagreeing with everything that comes out of your mouth. Well, the Pharisees and teachers of the law would have been in that second category. They would have been sitting there, muttering to themselves and to each other, disagreeing with probably every word that Jesus said, not enjoying it. This was, they were not a supportive crowd. It wasn't an easy, um, it wasn't an easy talk, if you like. We find out shortly that Jesus 
was in a house. We're told that a few verses later in verse in verse 18. And isn't it interesting? This is Jesus' everyday workplace. This is where people gathered. This is where people happened to be. It probably wasn't a Sabbath, because if it had been the Sabbath, the Pharisee would have complained about that as well. Um, so we guess it probably probably wasn't. It would, it would have been Jesus' everyday activity. I wonder if you see where I'm going with this yet. What is your everyday activity? What is your everyday location, perhaps? I'm not talking about a Sunday thing. I'm not talking about a special meeting. I'm just talking about your normal week. Your everyday activity. Those of you who are in work, it's your workplace for much of the week, I would imagine. It might be your office, or your shop floor, or your classroom, or whatever it might be. That's you probably much of your everyday activity during the week. Maybe you're at home with kids. Your everyday activity is around your home. That's where you spend much of your time. Maybe you're studying at school or university. Much of your everyday week is there in lectures or lessons, learning or apparently learning at least. Then what's your everyday thing? Listen, Jesus wants to move in power in your everyday Maybe to heal the sick there. Certainly to have you bring his kingdom in there. Jesus was going about his everyday activity. And as he did that, God was able to move. The kingdom of God came. People were healed, set free, delivered, and saved. It's different. You know what? God wants to do the same in our everyday activity as well. Amen? Amen. Now, Obviously, people had gathered uh, and they travelled far uh, to hear Jesus teach. The second half of verse 17 tells us that people had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So they had travelled potentially some distance to come and hear Jesus, to hear what he had to say, to see him heal the sick. Maybe some of them were sick as well and needed healing themselves. Maybe that's why they had indeed gone. Now, if your favourite band was on tour, and maybe the nearest gig actually wasn't in Derby, but was in, I don't know, Nottingham, or maybe Manchester, or even London, you, know, you, you would think about travelling, wouldn't you? If it was your favourite band and you think, I've got an opportunity to go and hear them, you'd make the journey, wouldn't you? You wouldn't think, oh, it's so far, and I want to get to put all that effort in and all that aggravation of travelling. you think, no, no, I want to hear them. And you do whatever you needed to do to, to actually get there. Well, people travelled like that to hear Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus talked with authority. And indeed, he taught with power as well. Mark 1, verse 27 says this, The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. This was not something that people had seen before. They were amazed. 
the people travelled to hear Jesus because they knew it was worth it. They knew they would hear him speak. They knew that they would see him demonstrate the kingdom of God. They knew that they'd see people healed, maybe even themselves. They were prepared to make the journey. Talking at church meetings, a good friend of mine says this, he says, hungry people will travel. He's right. It really is. You know, well, we would travel if we, if to, to go to something that was important to us, we would make the effort. But friends, people that are hungry for the presence of God will travel, will make an effort if there's a particular place where God is moving. They think, I want to be there. They'll put in the time to make the journey, to make the efforts. I would love to be to one of those places where we are so open to God's presence, so keen to host his presence, to give him space to move. And indeed, people do travel to, to meet him, not to meet us. There's nothing special about us, it's about him. All we're doing is acting like a signpost, saying, hey, it's this way. He's here. Just as he was here as we worshipped this morning. Now, I know you theologians out there, and there are many of you who say, yes, but God is always here. <coughs> and indeed he is. The Bible is very clear on that. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But as well as his omnipresence, there is his particular manifest presence. Manifest presence of the Lord. The now presence of God. And that's what we're going to see more and more as we as we gather. My friends, not just around the meeting, around us. As we sit to host the presence of God and be open to what he wants to do in us and around us and through us and with us. And you know, as that happens more and more, as we get to, or as we learn to host well the manifest presence of the Lord's. In the second half of verse 17 comes into play. It says, And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. The power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. It's a fascinating verse. I know I've preached on it before, so I don't want to spend loads of time uh, on it this morning. But let me just say this. Jesus wasn't operating independently here. He was clearly being led by the Spirit. In fact, Everything that Jesus did was being led and empowered by the Spirit. Time and again we see in Scripture that Jesus was anointed, empowered, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And this provided the power for his ministry. And he only did what he saw his Father doing. In John 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer, it says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself, he can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. John 5, John 5, 19. So Jesus wasn't healing here by virtue of him being fully God, though he was and is fully God, but rather by virtue of him being full of the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let's be really clear, I'm not denying Christ's deity. He was and is fully God as well as fully man, but his ministry here is empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
is filled by, is anointed by the Holy Spirit. And you know what this means? You might think, Graham, why are you making a point? Listen, this is why I'm making a point. This is really important. Because Jesus' ministry was filled by, empowered by, anointed by the Holy Spirit, it means we too can operate being filled by, empowered by, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So when Jesus says this, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, he's not setting us up to fail. When he goes on and says, and they will do even greater things than these, and that's a whole other discussion, isn't it? What does greater mean? Does it mean more amazing? Does it mean more in number? Well, I'm worried more about the first part of the verse than that bit. You know, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. We're doing all of those yet? Probably not. But because Jesus was filled by, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and so are you and I, we can fulfill that verse in his name. Amen? Amen. That's what it says here, friends. And so often we can read through the Gospels and think, wow, the healing that Jesus brought was amazing. And indeed it was. We can think, well, that, that, that was just him. No, no. He made it really clear. His expectation was that his disciples and ongoing followers will operate in the same way. So if we're not, and I think we're learning too, but if we're not there yet, we can come back to the Lord and say, Lord, we're not there yet. We want more of this. We want more of your anointing, more of your power, a greater sense of your presence and filling of your spirit because we want to fulfill what you promised. And I'm assuming we want to fulfill what what he's promised, and I certainly do. I know many of you do. We need to be kind back to the Lord and say, Lord, you said. And he has said. And he's promised it. You know what? Whatever Jesus promises, he delivers on. He does. Stuck in that verse, let's keep going. Verse 18, and a few verses after. So some men come and and carry carry the paralytic on a mat, and they try to get into the house. Um, Well, they can't, they can't find a way in. So let's just consider the faith of this guy's friends for a moment. We're not told whose idea it was. We're not told that if one day the guy woke up and said, I've heard about this guy, Jesus. Could some of you carry me to him and let's see if I can be healed? Or we're not told that if maybe his friends came to him and said, listen, we've heard about Jesus. We want to take you to him because we believe he can heal you. We're not not told which way around it was. But whatever initiated it, they bring their friends. They carry him on a mat. Now, this must take some work. I mean, assuming he's a grown man, so, you know, even if he's a small grown man, there is some weight to him. So this requires some effort. It wasn't that they stuck him in the back of a Volvo estate and sort of drove him there. We're told that they carried him on a mat. So this took some effort, some work, and some intentionality from his friends. And lo and behold, when they get to the house, when they get to where they're going, there's such a crowd there, they can't get in. They can't find a way through I mean, you know what it's like if you're in a crowd. You know, maybe you're on the, the underground in London. You know, you know what it's like if you're on the underground in London, don't you? You know, because tube trains come, I mean, you know, so infrequently. I mean, gosh, it must be as long as every couple of minutes. 
that people you know, push and, and struggle to get on, and you're there in a crowd like this, and you think, I'm not sure I can get through this. Well, sometimes you can sort of sneak through, can't you? Be clever. You line yourself up on the door with the door. Just get through that. You know, straight through. You can't do that if there's at least four of you and you're carrying mats and you've got your friend laying on the mats. You're not going to get through, are you? And it's the same here as they arrive in this house. They're not going to get through this great crowd that has assembled to hear and to see Jesus. So what do they do? Well, clearly they decide, having got this far, they're not going to give up that easily. And so Luke tells us what happens here. They carry him up onto the roof. It would have been a flat roof. That would have been typical house design of the time. And we're told that they lower him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. So they take him up the outside steps, get him on the roof, then probably get on their hands and knees and start digging holes. And you can imagine if you were in the crowd underneath and you were listening to Jesus and suddenly there's this noise up ahead. You think, what's that noise? And there's suddenly sort of tiles and the roof and stuff starts to fall on you and you sort of glance up and you sort of avoid the bit that comes down and it takes your eye out and then you see a glint of light. And there's a hole. And you see somebody's hand. You think, what's going on? And then there's some more hands and suddenly this hole starts to enlarge and there's mud and earth and just roof tiles and stuff everywhere and everyone's sort of looking around thinking what's going on and Jesus is probably just carrying on at this point and then they lower their friends on his mat down to where Jesus is speaking that is some entrance isn't it you have to admit that, that is some entrance <laughs> Before we get to what happened next, let's pause for a moment. Clearly there is some faith at work here. This was not an idle day out. This was not some sort of team challenge thing. There's faith at work in people's hearts here as they bring people to Jesus. Luke tells us in verse 20, he says that when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus looked at them and saw faith. What does it mean? It means that he saw evidence of their faith. He could see that they brought their friends. He could see that they carried him. He could see that they couldn't get through the crowd. So they got up onto the roof and dug a hole and lowered him down in front of Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. Here's the evidence. They had faith that if they brought their friend to Jesus, something was going to happen. Jesus would heal him. Now, I wonder what's your faith level like for bringing people to Jesus? They knew that if they brought people to Jesus, something was going to happen. I wonder what's your expectation? Rupert talked about the carol service earlier. 13th of December. Six o'clock here. As we bring people to meet with Jesus and invite them to say, come sing some carols, come hear the Christmas story. What's your expectation of what will happen? What's your faith in that? 
Now, I, I know you don't have to bring people to a meeting for them to encounter Jesus. I know that. But I mean, what's your expectation or faith like for if you do bring someone to church, what's going to happen? Are they going to meet with Jesus? And you know what? If our faith isn't so high for that, we've got to ask ourselves some questions. Why not? What's our level of expectation that God might do something dramatic in someone's life? Well, you know, I don't think we'll genuinely know the answer to that question until we step out and try it. Until we make the invites, until we show ourselves to be trusting Jesus and what he can do, then we might see the answer. You know, I, I was so challenged by this this week. As I was preparing this, I felt God speak to me about it and challenge me on it. And, and friends, I think this morning God is speaking to us about this. I, think, I feel the Father has a question for us, which is this. What's your faith level that I can break in? I feel the Father would say to us, what's your expectation? What's your faith that, that I could break in? So as the account continues, verse 25, we, uh, <clears throat> we see that Jesus challenges the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They, he, he sees what's in their hearts, sees what they're thinking, and he challenges them about it. And you can imagine the scene, can't you, as Jesus is having this conversation with the Pharisees and teachers of the law. This paralysed man is still lying in front. So looking up at Jesus, saying, are you going to get to me? And meanwhile, Jesus is, you know, having a conversation with the Pharisees, teachers of the law, challenging them. You can imagine this guy thinking, remember me? And then we get to verse 25. And Jesus speaks to this guy, Verse 24. He says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. There's nothing to go back up that way again. You can imagine the sort of crowd parked before him in stunned silence, amazed at what they'd seen in front of them. Because he gets up, he walks home. Jesus responds to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He sees what his Father is doing, and he abides, and the man gets healed. And we should operate as well, wouldn't we? Father, what are you doing? Show, show me, Holy Spirit. What, what's the Father doing right now? As we see that, as we obey, he gets healed. So my question is this. What's the Father doing this morning? What's he doing this morning? What is he saying to you and to me? Well, I believe this morning God wants to raise our faith levels. Now, just like when there's been a great deal of rain, the water in a reservoir rises, isn't it? You can see it rising in a lake or reservoir or you know, you, you go over a river, and if there's been a great storm of a few days previously, you think, oh wow, the water's risen, it's much higher than it was. 
Can we go on to rise some faith levels this morning? We can also do that in two ways. The first way is this. What's your response from what we've read together in Scripture? So I believe this morning that God has already challenged some of us. I know the Lord challenged me as I, as I prepared this week and I was praying about this and just in the passage here. I thought God challenged me for a great many. And I'm trusting that as I've shared this with you this morning that the Bible is doing the same too. Challenging you, provoking you, giving you fresh faith for what he wants to do. I think some of you know it already. But for others of you, I feel that God wants to raise your faith level this morning by seeing God breaking, by experiencing his loving, healing hands, even this morning. In a moment, we're going to pray for the sick. And you can't look at a passage like this and then not pray for people. It would just be wrong, wouldn't it? I mean, you just couldn't do it. wouldn't be allowed. And uh, I feel we should do that this morning. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to uh, invite us to stand and we're going to pray. As one or two uh, words of knowledge that I think I've got, and maybe one or two others have got, and we're going to pray for those who are sick this morning. We'll start off by praying for those that have got some, some words for, we believe, and then we'll pray for anybody else who is sick. But let's be aware, as we do that, not only are some of you going to be healed, I believe others of you are going to grow in faith this morning. Because it's a faith-growing exercise. You know what? As we see God do this more and more, he gives us more faith for it, doesn't it? It's like when you first step out with a prophetic word for somebody. You think, ah... I'm not sure if God's given me this, but and you just sort of blurt it out, and the person says, oh, that was so helpful, thank you. You think, oh, I hope God gives me. And that gives you more faith next time, doesn't it? Because you, you, bring, someone for some, 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 you bring something for somebody, and you think, I'm not sure, but I think I might be in this. And they go, oh, that's, that's so helpful, thank you so much. And you think, oh, God's starting to use me in this. And then your faith rises for it, doesn't it? And next time, you've got to be more confidence. Not in you, in him. And in your ability to hear him. And to speak it out. The same is true, friends, in healing. The more we pray for people, the more we're going to see people healed, and the more faith that will give us to pray for people and to see people healed. The hard bit is, is getting into that circle to start with. It's like a big flywheel. You know, sort of thing. That's massive. That's massive, massive, big, big wheel. It takes an awful lot of effort to start it turning, isn't it? And a humongous amount of effort to get the thing moving to start with. Then once it starts to get some momentum, it gets a whole lot of ease, isn't it? Oh, it starts to get the momentum to it. Oh, it starts to get some energy behind it. I think the same is true in this. It feels hard to break into. But once you get some momentum, you think, oh yeah, God is doing this. I think we're beginning to see something. We're beginning to pray for people. We're beginning to see God do something. We need to get the momentum going and increase our faith levels for it. But before we pray, we're going to pray in just a moment. Let me add this. We've said that Jesus went around preaching the gospel and healing the sick. The gospel means good news. 
in amidst a week in amidst a week of bad news, the gospel is some good news. And the good news is this that there is a God in heaven who loves you, is for you, who wants a relationship with you, and has done everything required to make it possible for you. That's why it's good news. And today he offers you forgiveness and new life. By believing in, trusting in, and following his son, Jesus, God brings you into that new life, that new relationship with him. It's not that salvation is obtained by a certain number of good works or certain things that you need to do or achieve or places you need to go, or a certain list of rules and requirements. But rather, this is about a relationship. A relationship with the living God. And, uh, you know, you and I are not perfect, we know that. He is. He really is. And because of us not being perfect and him being perfect, we, we can't just walk into that relationship. There needs to be a bridge that makes it possible. And friends, that bridge is Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect, sinless life and took on himself the punishment that really should have been yours and mine for everything that we've done wrong. And he died and then he rose again. And by trusting in him, by following him, by giving our hearts to him, saying, yes, Lord, I believe, I want to follow you now, by making him the Lord of your life. You can enter into that relationship with him. You can do it this morning if you've never done it before. If maybe you haven't even heard about it before. This morning you can make a decision to respond to God's invitation to you. In the, the word we had during worship, I think it was from, from Paul, wasn't it? That God's arms being open wide. They really are this morning. They open wide to you. And his invitation is for you to enter into that relationship with him. So let's pray. Perhaps the band can, can come back, please. We've got a little bit of time. I want us to pray and then um, we'll quickly bring one or two words of knowledge for healing. And uh, then if you're sick this morning, we will pray for you. And um, let's see what, God, what God's going to do. Okay. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at 